summer of 1868, John Muir, a Scottish-born, Wisconsin-raised man, set off on foot from San Francisco to walk into the Sierra Nevada mountains for the first time in his life. He was on his way to see the region some people called the Awani. Others called it Yosemite. Awani means big mouth and Awani Nietzsche. Yosemite means killer in Miwok. In his journals, Muir wrote that the landscape, he was, in this landscape, he was overwhelmed by the cliff faces. He would scramble up and down them to get a closer look at the waterfalls by peering over. He wrote of whooping and howling at what he saw <laughs> and jumping tirelessly from flower to flower. Soon after his first visit, he became a shepherd in the Yosemite region and he quickly gained a reputation as a wild man. <laughs> in his book, Mountains of California, Muir recounts a tale that gives us a sense of that wildness. During an enormous windstorm, he carefully noted how different trees responded to the storm. Sugar pine branches swing compliantly like tresses of green fluent algae in a brook. How juniper and dwarf pines are never knocked down by the wind, and Muir listened for hours as trees are, were uprooted or cracked in half by the sheer force of the wind every two to three minutes. <laughs> Amidst that heroic wind, Muir strapped himself to the top of a Douglas fir tree to feel the full force of the wind. <laughs> Muir was unconventional in a way that attracted others. They wanted to go out and see this wild man, to know his ways. People were drawn from all over the country. His guests included scientists, artists, as well as literary giants like Emerson. Even President Teddy Roosevelt took the time to come to Yosemite and explore the wilderness from Mariposa Grove to Glacier Point, going alone with this wild man. And Muir used his influence, used his wildness to protect this region. Although Yosemite had been designated a park, it was in danger of being consumed by industry. According to Muir, the greatest threat to the Yosemite area was domestic sheep. He called them hoofed locusts. <laughs> the sheep ate all the mountain plant life and disrupted the soil. Mind you, he had worked as a shepherd. Through his writing, Muir convinced Congress to designate Yosemite a national park. In that way, Muir made it so that people like you and me and all of our children, our children's children, can go 
into this beautiful place. Enjoy God's creation. To go into this place that to me is a cathedral. He made it possible to find God amidst destruction. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This morning, we remember another John, another wild man, another weirdo. (laughs) This is a man with strange clothes, camel hair. He was, his clothing recalled Elijah. He had strange food. Again, a reference to Elijah, a strict diet of the faithful, a Spartan way of life. He had strange words. Like John Muir, leaders came out to visit him. And when many of those came, how did he respond? (laughs) Exactly. You brood of vipers. (laughs) When I think of that, when I hear that line, every time I think of it, I think of uh, Indiana Jones, uh, the the first one, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Where, where he goes down into the, the room where the covenant, where the ark is, and it's full of the snakes. <laughs> you brood of vipers, who warned you? <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> he doesn't want them to change. He would prefer they stayed how they were. He doesn't want them to be part of this community of people that are changing their lives and working to prayer the way of the Lord because he does not trust them. Because of his prophetic speech and way of life, many people wondered if John was the Messiah. He was very popular. And this is why Matthew makes it very clear from the beginning of Matthew's gospel that John is not the Messiah. Matthew begins with a genealogy, a genealogy to show how the Davidic line, how the Abrahamic faith leads down through the Davidic line all the way straight to Jesus. Anybody who had any question, now you know. Not John. And then John's own mouth says, one who is coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. And what is it that John says to us? What are the words that begin his ministry in Matthew's gospel? Repent. (laughs) Repent. Metanoia. This is one of those Christian, one of those Greek words that you probably hear in the broader church from time to time. You've probably heard metanoia in some place, and if you haven't, you're going to hear it today. <laughs> this word that we translate as repent, metanoia, meta in the accusative in, in Greek um, uh, means after or behind or even beyond. And nous means mind. 
Some would say it means afterthought or it means thinking, renewing your mind, looking back at something else. It's very interesting to consider that this was not just a word that was isolated in, uh, in language, but it was one that was acted out within Greek culture. Often in, in tragedies, often in, uh, in theatrical uh, depictions, Metanoia was a shadowy goddess cloaked and sorrowful who accompanied Kairos, interestingly, the, the Christian concept of grace, but in this context, the god of opportunity. And together, they sowed regret and inspired repentance for a missed moment, a missed opportunity. More on the contemporary side of this understanding of metanoia, there's a whole history of metanoia, and I could go get into it, but it's a little too dorky for, I think, this morning. Uh, for now, I'm inspired by what the Greek Orthodox Church says. They say that metanoia denotes a fundamental transformation of outlook, a change in perspective, like climbing a tree, like falling in love, like finishing an exam, <laughs> like going to a pigeon convention <laughs> when you're stuck somewhere else. So yesterday we were at the diocesan convention, and, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's its own little show. And, uh, and next door, um, it, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension and anxiety during these diocesan conventions. But next door, there was a pigeon convention. The L.A. Uh, Pigeon Society was having their national convention. I love that at the convention center, the top billing was the Pigeon Society. <laughs> so amidst all that, that craziness, uh, I took a break, and I, I grabbed Sarah and a couple other folks, and we went over and uh, looked at these pigeons. And they were amazing. They had, like, you know... I'll show you some pictures. It's, it's unbelievable. You, you wouldn't think pigeon when you look at these. Some of them are more along the peacock realm of things. The point is to change the way you look at things. <laughs> Last Monday, I, I happened to uh, have the opportunity to join the Community Environmental Council um, for a speech, uh, an evening of uh, looking at how in this next uh, presidential term, the environmental movement can, can go forward. Like, what are the strategies? How can we change things? It was, it was a pretty privileged uh, meeting. We had a, there was a message from Al Gore. There was a speech from former uh, presidential candidate, uh, General Wesley Clark. Um, there were several other like, powerful speakers there. One of the things that touched me most was this, the articulation that we need to change the way we do things, the way we fight this environmental fight. And one of the examples that somebody brought was that during the, uh, the, the campaign to have, uh, get cans redeemed in the 80s, uh, there, was a, there was, a, was a strong blockade be, uh, and a division between those who were looking for uh, reform uh, on the environmental side, and then the can companies, particularly Coors um, beers, beer cans. Um, and one of the things that they did after years of fighting for this, somebody finally came along and said, has anybody gone to Coors? Has anybody gone and talked to them about what they want? And somebody did. 
And that was it. That was what brought the wall down. It reminded me, we might have to contact some oil companies. We might have to reach out to the beef industry. We might even have to get on the horn with the Koch brothers. That's right. Oof. <laughs> right now, that feels impossible. It seems to violate the very laws of the universe. It feels unnatural. It feels like a lion eating straw, like a wolf living with a sheep, like a leopard lying down with a goat. This is a powerful passage from Isaiah. This is not some gentle image of peace. This is not a rearranging of stuffed animals on a child's bed. Imagine a newborn child with poisonous insects around it. Imagine letting your toddler stick her hand into a snake's den. This is dangerous. This behavior is deadly under normal circumstances. But in this prophetic future, everything we understand about danger will be erased. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse. Jesse, David's father. David, the king whose progeny were to govern Israel forever. David's line, the one that was cut down in the Babylonian exile. From that stump, long dead, there will be new growth. To make that happen, we will have to clear the way. If we want to prepare the way of the Lord, we will have to take some risks. Yes, maybe some of those risks Risks will be unnatural, like approaching enemies. Some of those risks might be like the toddler's hands going down the snake hole. But most of those risks won't be the sort of skydiving, bungee dumping risks that we associate with risk taking. In most cases, we will be risking our vulnerability. We will be risking our understanding that we know everything about the world. Because the way of the Lord will change our understanding of everything around us. No matter what, that change is coming. We remember that in Advent. And I used to be afraid of that change. I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want those I love and cherish to be judged. Now, particularly these days, I see it much differently. I want God to separate the wheat from the chaff. I want God to clear the pestilential animals of commerce from the beautiful country. I want to see the glory of the coming of the Lord because we need sustenance. We need the nourishment of hope. Whatever is strangling that needs to go. God is coming to make the change. And that is good news. Amen.